0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 130, we discuss winners and losers from the summer of soccer, how the Women's World Cup TV ratings compared to four years ago, Be in Sports returns to PlayStation View, which Premier League club will have all of their friendlies on BR Live, plus letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. All right, Karthik, so let's talk about the summer of soccer. Uh, there's a lot to take in. Um, first of all, let's talk about the winners and losers in regards to really kind of the, the, the television experience. So the, the way it's shaped out, I mean, after these games uh, this this week uh, in terms of all the semi-finals and the finals then coming up this weekend is that um, the winners really... Fox Sports, you have to say they're a winner in terms of having um, the women's uh, team in the final, the U.S. women's team in the final for the Women's World Cup, and at the same time, uh, on the same day, having the U.S. men's national team uh, playing in the Gold Cup final. So that that's one winner. Uh, and the way it shakes out is that I think everyone's a winner in this, in this regard. Univision uh, is going to be a winner, having Mexico in the final. Uh, so for the Gold Cup final, they're going to have some monster ratings for that. Last but not least, Telemundo uh, with uh, Brazil against Peru uh, in the Copa America final and uh, them having the exclusive television rights in the United States. Telemundo is going to be a winner for that one. So at at the end of the day, in the summer of soccer, I, I think we all win.
0: Yeah, I think um, for Telemundo in particular in Copa America, it's probably a benefit that Chile did not make their third successive uh, Copa America final and got eliminated by Peru in the semifinals because uh, Chile doesn't have uh, the the following in the United States that this diaspora. They don't have as many uh, Chilean-Americans as as there are Peruvian-Americans or Colombia. Obviously, you, you want Colombia in any Final Any Latin American final. In fact, uh, back in the days when the Gold Cup invited guest teams, they would always invite Colombia because there's just a larger Colombian community, Colombian-American community in, in the United States that would go to matches. But I think Brazil, Peru is about as good as they could get unless it had been Colombia um, instead. But that's uh, that's going to be a good final for Telemundo and for uh, ESPN+. Plus.
1: So would you say that there's any uh, losers in, in the TV makeup of, of uh, these tournaments going into the summer of soccer, the, the finale? Anyone that's kind of really um, you mean, missing out in, in some ways?
0: In the uh, U.S., no, but I think the BBC, obviously in the U.K., with... Uh, uh England losing in the semifinals. I mean, I spent a lot of time uh, Wednesday night, or excuse me, Tuesday night and Wednesday during the day listening to the Colin in shows on Five Live and on Talk Sport. And it just felt like that country was ready to explode if um, England had gotten to the final, and we know they were so close. And I think that the television number for the BBC for the final would, might have broken all sorts of terrestrial TV records in, in the United Kingdom had England got to that final. So um, really close, uh, didn't happen. But uh, so they're the only loser, although they've had a great tournament to this point, right? Yep. With England going on the way to the semifinals and also having Scotland in the tournament uh, helped the BBC's numbers.
1: My, my take on the, on the loser for the Summer of Soccer is, unfortunately, is ESPN+. Plus. Uh, with the Copa America coverage, uh, it's been really disappointing with the uh, the commentators that they picked and selected for these games. Uh, for a lot, of, a lot of the games in the the latter stages of this tournament, uh, Adrian Healy came in, and um, I'm not the biggest fan of Adrian Healy, but he's decent. But he definitely uh, elevated the commentating uh, of this tournament uh, English language in the United States on the ESPN Plus. Uh, but at the same time. There's absolutely no comparison to what Telemundo did. Telemundo, off the charts, amazing commentating uh, by Andres Cantor, of course, uh, Manuel, Manuel Sol, uh, Sorin, so on and so forth. Uh, just, just, just s- extreme differences in terms of that TV viewing experience. And ESPN Plus, I mean, yes, the price point is so affordable; uh, it's hard to complain, but. In this regard, I have to complain about the commentators and just a, a poor decision-making in terms of uh, picking who they picked. Now, now, Kartika, in terms of this past week, I mean, there's been so many games. Um, what for you, maybe it doesn't have to be one game, but maybe one or two games uh, highlights some, some of the ones that you enjoyed the most?
0: Uh, well, first off, I, I should preface it by saying I've only watched the Women's World Cup. I haven't watched any other soccer. So, um, so,
1: so is, that, and, is that a choice or are you on a yes. crusade?
0: Well, I mean, I don't know why people have to characterize it as a crusade. You know, if if people watch uh, uh, if people watch other soccer during the men's World Cup, uh, they get accused of. Well, why is there this other soccer going on during the men's World Cup? I I think it's kind of a double standard. It's not anyone's fault who's watching. No one's consciously saying, "Oh, well, I'm going to be uh, uh, I'm going to be duplicitous and watch the Gold Cup or watch Copa America or watch the African Cup of Nations." But what it is is FIFA showing a lack of respect for the women's game, as they have with all these rules changed. This is the they're using. They're essentially using the women as lab rats, both with VAR and with these rules changes that went into effect on June 1st. So uh, it's a choice. It's a conscious choice. I can't watch soccer 24 seven. I'm. And, and this is part of being in the kind of culture of watching European football more than domestic football. Even though I work in the domestic cri- uh, game, Chris is I'm generally accustomed to being done with my soccer watching by uh, 5 p.m. Uh, every day, and then I'm wa- I'm I'm reading, I'm watching a movie, I'm watching a documentary, I'm going to dinner, whatever. So um, that means because the Women's World Cup has been in Europe. Um, that it's been easy it's been easier for me to follow plus it's a tournament I want to follow now if I were to watch a men's tournament simultaneously it would probably be the African Cup of Nations just because of the timing but yeah, yeah. I've only I have not watched I I, I will admit I have uh, I, I have followed the Copa America I have not watched it I have not even followed the gold cup it got it was a st- shock to me when a non soccer friend actually a soccer hating friend of mine uh, texted me on the on th- uh, Tuesday night that he was actually going to watch soccer because Haiti was in the Gold Cup semi final. I was like, whoa. And then I thought they were playing the U.S. and it turned out they were playing Mexico. So I had, I had absolutely no, I haven't even been keeping track of the tournament. Um, yeah, but-
1: and, it, and, it, and it's nothing wrong with that too. And, and the reason I ask is too, I was just kind of trying to figure out what, what the reason for that. I mean, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I mean, there is so much soccer on, on that if you watched every single game, I think most of us would be completely burned out. I mean, the women's world cup uh, as with you i've i've watched almost every game oh I, you probably watch every game I, i've watched yeah. a- almost every game Copa America, I've watched as much as I can. Gold Cup, I've watched more this week than, than they have for the rest of the tournament, just because now it, it's getting interesting, or this past week it's gotten interesting. But but yeah, no, no understandable there, for sure. But-
0: I would say the other thing, Chris, is that um, unfortunately, and this is not all Fox's fault, and I do want to address this today, but Fox's broadcast windows because of um, VAR, because of, it, well, yesterday with the Sweden game was the injury in... in uh, extra time you know in stoppage time of extra time because of this their broadcast windows they're not they're not doing real post-game coverage and again i think it's a it's not i don't blame them i don't know that coming into this tournament uh anyone at fox could have pre- predicted that every match would have seven to ten minutes of stoppage time which cuts into any uh, post-game analysis yeah. so what's ended up happening is in the time i would be watching in, uh, Copa America or the Gold Cup, I'm downloading uh, 606 from the BBC. I'm listening to Talk Sport. I'm listening to ESPN FC's uh, coverage with Seb Salazar and Kate McGrath. I'm, I'm taking in other coverage of the Women's World Cup to get the analysis I feel like I need around what I consider you know the co-biggest tournament in, in, in world football along with the Men's World Cup. I would say there are three tournaments I love because I love the Euros too. Mm-hmm. and I probably like the Euros as much as I like the World Cup. Um, the Men's world cup so there are three tournaments that i really focus on and this is one of the three so in order to supplement my viewing and supplement my analysis um i'm downloading other shows and then quite honestly because i'm on uh, radio shows and i'm on podcasts i'm having to kind of go back if particularly when the u.s plays or england plays um go back and watch those games again and watch moments of those games again. So it's just – I don't want to be – sound like I'm on some kind of crusade and everybody who's watching the Gold Cup or Copa America is a misogynist. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is it's very difficult if you want to cover the Women's World Cup as properly as you would cover the Men's World Cup, which is is my goal. Uh, I see them as co-equal tournaments. That's part of me being American, right? Because I grew up – you know, obviously I grew up in the old NASL days. But as I became a soccer person working in the game – uh the US women were as relevant as the US men. So that's part of my orientation as an American. In order to do that, I need uh to be able to, to operate. And the the bottom line is last women the last two women's World Cups, the gold cup only Overlapped was only simultaneous with the Women's World Cup for part of the tournaments. I don't know why the decision was made in 2019 to shift the calendar that had been used in 11 and 15 with both these tournaments. Uh, And the same thing can be said for Copa America. Actually, Copa America in 11 uh, was 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 pretty simultaneous with uh, um, the Women's World Cup, and I didn't watch it in 11. But in 15, all these things were staggered. I don't know why all of a sudden everything is uh, is going on at the very same time to the point where the finals are the same day. That to me is a, a FIFA decision, and uh, while um, I'm saying that people who are um, you know watching these tournaments, and then the people who are uh, saying, "Oh, that's terrible! You're not watching the Gold Cup. Uh, how can you call yourself a, a U.S. soccer person?" Um, I'm not accusing them of misogyny, but I am saying FIFA, I think, had some ha- had in their own mind a kind of a misogynistic thing when they said we're going to relegate the, F- the Women's World Cup to whatever, you know, co-equal status with all these confederation tournaments.
1: So, so I, I don't know if this is true or not, but it, I almost have a feeling that the way that the tournaments have been structured and in terms of scheduled and all three finals ending on Sunday is that it's been done for the U- United States TV audience. Because, you I mean, look at it. It's a, it's a July 4th weekend. Most Americans are off, You I mean, definitely off, off today, Thursday, but uh, sometimes off on Friday. But it's a long weekend. It's one of the few times of the year where most Americans have time off. Some are working, yes, but the majority would have time off. And you've got a Gold Cup final. You've got a Copa America final. You've got a Women's World Cup final. And if somebody, like, at FIFA said, OK, let's figure out a way to... Uh, schedule things, and let's talk to CONCACAF, let's talk to ball let's twist their arms a little bit and say, hey, come on guys, let's finish it, finish it up on July 7th. The biggest winner in all of this is the United States. I mean, Fox is going to have monster TV ratings for the Women's World Cup final, no doubt. Fox will have monster TV ratings for the uh, Mexico-US final. Telemundo is going to have monster ratings for the Brazil-Peru game. It's, it's going to be one of the biggest days of soccer-watching in one day in the united states ever i mean I, 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 that, and you, you couldn't say this you couldn't say the same for a lot of other countries around the world
0: I mean, I go back to 2007 when the Gold Cup final was held in Chicago on a Sunday. The Copa didn't start till the next Wednesday. So, actually, in the case of Mexico and the U.S., used some of the same guys. They were both they were both in that tournament. They were the two guest teams in 2007, uh, and then the Women's World Cup was in China, so it started after um, the, the Copa America was over. Um, 2011, as I mentioned, there was some overlap between Copa and, and the Women's World Cup. But 2015, you know, Women's World Cup ended i want to say two or three weeks before the gold cup ended um at least two so there was if there was any overlap it was the initial group stage of the gold cup and the knockout stage the, the semi finals third place game and finals of the uh women's world cup so the, to me this is quite uh quite odd that it's gone this direction um uh so next year obviously copa moves uh, to um, even years and will be in 2020, 2024, 2028. So you avoid that conflict for the future, which leaves uh, African Cup of Nations, which has now moved to the summer, which I think is of great relief, uh, particularly the primary league and Bundesliga clubs who are losing guys pretty regularly and, and, uh, uh, and Serie A clubs, etc. cetera, for league uh, clubs especially, right? Um, losing guys during the, the Cup of African Nations. Uh so for 2023, they're going to have to figure out a way to stagger these tournaments. Look, I think um, part of the problem is that CONCACAF and and uh, uh, the CAF um, are permitted to have two tournaments in a four-year cycle because they're trying to raise revenue and they're trying to make money. And I understand why they're trying to make money uh, partly for the poorer – in Concacap, the poorer island nations in Africa, the poorer uh, footballing nations, just poorer nations, period. Uh, I get that. But at the same time, I think that's creating a lot of this calendar fixture problem um, and you know problems on television. I think you know the Gold Cup would be a more lucrative television problem if it was property. If it was once every four years, um, once every two years with the Gold Cup, we just kind of snicker at the tournament, right? Yeah. Um,
1: but 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 in some ways, this is almost a, a relatively new problem that we have here. Is because go back say say five years ago, or go back ten years ago, um, most of this television coverage wasn't available to us. I mean, yes, there would be the Gold Cup would be on on, on television, Copa America. Sometimes, I, I, I'm sure it was televised maybe on, on a really niche kind of uh, Spanish language yeah. channel or satellite TV but, station or pa- even pay, pay-per-view maybe. So, actually, so the, the Gold so Cup was program. never
0: – oh, sorry. The Gold Cup was never available in English prior to 2013. It was just U.S. games that were shown. Hmm. Prior to 2013, yeah, right. was so- I forget,
1: uh, yeah, I forget Great. about
0: that. Yeah, yeah so um, and, and actually Af- a very new problem.
1: And then Africa Cup of Nations, forget about that. I mean, in the past yeah. it wouldn't have been televised. The the one commonality I will say about all three of these tor- well, all four of these tournaments is disappointingly lots of empty seats. So Women's World Cup, uh, Africa Cup of Nations, some of those stadiums are almost empty. Uh, even Copa America, some of those uh, stadiums in Brazil have been empty. Um, and and Gold Cup, Gold Cup too. I mean, even for the United States game last night against Jamaica, um, I mean, in a capacity of like what, seventy thousand, I think there was like twenty nine thousand people there. Uh, that is that is an issue. And from the TV viewing perspective, from the watching it on television, it doesn't uh, help with the atmosphere in the stadiums. So I think that's that seems to be systemic in terms of uh, a lot of countries and a lot of. Uh, kind of uh, organizations, football organizations, raising ticket prices and just, you mean, just trying to scalp people in terms of uh, generating as much revenue as possible.
0: Yeah, they can talk a lot about football and the, the game, but what I think we found is FIFA and the confederations, all of whom have retained you know marketing partners and vendors that they pay that are getting fees for, for, for uh, consulting or or marketing or media rights. Um, it, it's forcing them to raise ticket prices, and we can talk. We speak specifically to the Gold Cup. CONCACAF Cap does it because they're trying to uh, they're trying to, 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 to make sure that they can fund some of these smaller island nations. Everybody else as I mentioned, and Soccer United Marketing, we talk a lot about them, uh, is the marketing partner and media partner for the tournament, and they need to have uh, have their take-home pay so that they can help uh, subsidize MLS with it. So uh, there are all these competing reasons why you have uh, high ticket prices, but I, it should be noted that the U.S. charges more the US men's national team charges more for friendlies than France has for euro qualifiers. So that's uh, so it's it's an even more of a problem in the United States than it is uh, in in uh, places like France when their federation is controlling things. Obviously, currently with the women's world cup, that's a that's a FIFA property and FIFA's charging uh, pretty high ticket prices.
1: So a question I asked you a few minutes ago was uh, which were your most uh, memorable games from the past week? I, I'll dive in with mine. My three, uh, those three I picked out were um, Haiti against Canada. Uh, just a huge surprise there. I mean, Haiti down 2-0 and and there they come back. I mean, uh, two, tried the 2-2 and the late winner to make it 3-2. Uh, just really proud to see how well this team performed and, and just to see, because it, it means so much to Haiti in terms of the people and everything that they've gone through. Uh, one of the poorest countries in the region and uh, th- that was incredible to watch. And, that, and that's something that We've been missing a lot from these tournaments overall is that there haven't been that many shock victories, Uh, but Haiti played exceedingly well and deserved that win. The other two games that stand out for me were some of the best games I've seen probably in several weeks, if not not a few months, and those were the semifinals of the Copa America, uh, Brazil against Argentina. The technical skill, the speed of this game, the physicality, it was just mesmerizing to watch. Uh, Brazil eventually went on to win the game, but really, really, it, it felt like it was a World Cup final. It was, it was that it was that intense and that good. And then the the other game, the third the third game, well, actually the the three best games was uh, Peru against Chile, and, and Peru were absolutely. I mean, the goal, goalkeeper Galesi, um who I think is uh, actually with Veracruz, but he's on the loan at uh, Alianza Lima. Uh, had an, an extraordinary game, one of the, probably a match of his uh, of his lifetime, making some incredible saves, uh, including a, an easy penalty save too. But he kept Peru in this game, and uh, Chile just kept on pushing, 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 and, and Peru uh, played out of their skins. Absolutely an, an incredible scenes, and uh, congratulations to for, to Peru. That's going to be a really awesome final on Sunday. Th- those are my three standout games.
0: Yeah, for me, I think the standout game was uh, the Italy Netherlands match. Uh, where I I think that uh, Italy is fearless, right? And and, uh, um, maybe this this elimination uh, from the Women's World Cup, this is their first Women's World Cup in 20 years. They were close to qualifying in 2011, actually were in an intercontinental playoff with the U.S. That was uh, an era when the U.S. was was really struggling, um, at least through qualifying. You uh, and uh, but they hadn't been in a World Cup in 20 years, and they were so exciting. I mean, they were attacking um, and attacking and attacking, somewhat naively. So against Brazil, uh, there it's nil nil. They win the group with a draw. They ended up winning the group with a win because of other results, right? But um, uh, they, they're, they're attacking. They're just playing good football. They're just just—they're uh, kind of the, the, the contradiction of what, how we perceive the Italian men. And then the same thing with this um, match against the Netherlands. Obviously, uh, they get through um, uh, the, the round of 16 match, Italy, and so they're in the quarterfinals. And against the Dutch, they were um, – They were a joy to watch. The Dutch were much more kind of methodical in their passing and and do the things uh, they do um, and and keep possession of of the ball. And they eventually scored two late goals to beat Italy. But this was a fun game. And and, uh, the the Dutch uh, themselves will probably be an interesting team to watch in the final for U.S. fans who haven't watched any of this tournament because they've been in another group and on the other side of the draw.
1: So I will say, though, Karthik, uh, I mean, I've, I've loved uh, watching the Women's World Cup uh, this, this summer. And uh, like I mentioned before, too, I've watched almost every game. Um, I enjoy the experience sitting down, going through, watching you mean, two games a day, one game a day, sometimes three, three games a day. The one thing I will say is I think it's been a little bit overrated I mean, if if you if, if before before this tournament sat, uh, started and you sat down and looked at the bracket, it's okay. I'm going to fill out this bracket and I'm going to predict who's going to make it through to the final. There's been very few, if any, really upsets. I mean, Australia yeah. get knocked out early on penalty kicks, though. I mean, but there's, it's been very predictable, and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed this is the best women's World Cup I've seen in terms of playing level. Playing levels, but uh, it feels like it's—you mean too many teams in the tournament, and that the competitive levels have become very predictable because there's the yeah. a lot of a lot of weak minnows.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, um, this bracket, I. I if you want to talk about brackets, I almost filled it out perfectly. Now, yes, I did not have Italy winning that group, and that threw it off a little bit, but I had a Netherlands-US final. I had the US beating England in the semifinals. I had the Netherlands beating Germany in the semifinals. I did not have Sweden uh, making that run. Uh, I did not have Italy making that run, so I guess I had the teams the Dutch were beating wrong, but I had the US thing the whole way. Spain, France, uh, England uh, thought that they would all be tough games, and they all were. Thought they would win them all, and they did, Um, and then I had the Dutch going the whole way. So you're right. It's been relatively predictable. And Australia getting uh, bounced out early was not as shocking as it might have Been a year ago. Uh, They just haven't played well the last six months. So I think if there were any surprises in this tournament, it was Italy. And maybe that's why um, I put them in my game of the week and say they were the funnest team to watch because they were the only team that we didn't have expectations around that really performed in this tournament. Everything else went according to form. So I think you're right, Chris. I mean, as much as we've enjoyed the tournament and the football in the tournament, the results have ended up being utterly predictable. I mean, more predictable in any major tournament I can remember recently, uh, last year's, uh, world cup in Russia was incredibly unpredictable, mm-hmm. um, by the same, uh, standard. And then you know, the euros in, 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 2016 with, with Wales making the semifinals and then Portugal, um, who we might've picked as one of the favorites before the tournament, but then were terrible in the group stage. Um, drew Iceland, drew Hungary, uh, drew Austria, uh, them winning it was something we went to predict at the beginning of the uh, knockout stages.
1: So last but not least in terms of before we move on to the next segment, I, I do want to talk about Fox's coverage for a little bit and um, of, of the women's World Cup. And, and it's been, it's been on cruise control. It's been, I think we talked about this in last week's podcast too, but it's been consistent. Uh, there's been very few surprises. Um, it's been in terms of the analysis has been interesting. Um, hasn't been amazing. Um, Alexi Lalas, this tournament more than any others i think has upset a lot a lot of people but that's the role he plays that's the act the shtick he does and he's doing exactly what he always does and so i i don't really kind of focus on him too much just because that, that that's what he's paid to do um but the one thing i would say though Kartik, in terms of the coverage and and again it's on autopilot i mean fox sports is gonna fox sports after this world cup is over with the women's world cup is gonna say see Look at those TV ratings. That's all because of uh, Fox's great coverage. When we know back in 2015 and we know in 2019, the only major reason that these TV numbers are so great is because of the U.S. Women's National Team. This team and the characters and, and the players and the ability and the determination, determination, the grit, everything about this team, the way that they play, the chemistry, everything, this is what is really pushing the Women's World Cup and the sport, women's soccer uh, to, to new levels in the United States. It is not Fox Sports. Fox is, um, by good fortune and spending a lot of money, having the rights to this tournament and being on an autopilot where they're... Uh, it, it's been fair. It's been, it's been good, actually. Fox's coverage has been good. It hasn't been amazing. But the one thing I do, I do want to zero in on Kartik is the um, before the USA-England game and um, the news that came through that Megan Rapinoe uh, was not starting... And it was interesting too because uh, before pre-match they had no idea. They said they were just guessing on set. They were like, "Well, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a tactical decision." And, and Alalas went on this rant about, "This is crazy. Why would you sit your, your one of your, your star players who scored four goals in the last two games? Why would you sit her and save her for the final?" It wasn't until halftime that Rob Stone came back at halftime of this game to say, "Okay, well." From what we understand, it's, uh, it's an injury that's been picked up. Meanwhile, pre-match, as as the folks are d- discussing this in the studio, you're seeing Megan Rapinoe on the side of the pitch, uh, not participating in the pre-match. So the viewer, again, knows more about what's going on. The viewer is going, okay, hey, wait a second. She's not, she's not even warming up, so she, it must be an injury. But one more thing I'll say about this, Karthik, is that... Um, This is a classic example of how Fox Sports was missing somebody like Julie Fowdy or somebody like like a really good um, sideline reporter or an actual just a reporter. Where was the reporters uh, from Fox Sports uh, talking about this? Because Julie Fowdy at 2.30 Eastern time on that same day of this game on Tuesday. So half an hour before the game kicks off, she tweets out and says, well, yeah, yeah, like uh, Megan Rapinoe in practice yesterday had a leg all taped up. And, I mean, the reason that she's not starting is because uh, she's not fit. She's, she has an injury. She has a hamstring in- injury. Meanwhile, Fox broadcasting to millions, nobody had any da- idea. If you were just watching Fox and that was it, you had absolutely zero idea what was happening to me- Megan Rapinoe. And um, and this is something that Julie Fowdy said, too. I think, I think the day before practice, I mean, the day before the game, or I even mean, two days before the game, it was known that she had an injury, but yet Fox completely, I don't, know, did not know this. Which, which is, how could they not know this with all the teams of people that they have in 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 France?
0: I mean, this blows my mind because, um, okay, so I knew Megan Rapinoe was injured because I was on Twitter. I was not watching the Fox pregame show. I turned Fox on at at, at two fifty nine uh, for for kickoff. Uh, it, it's uh, then explains why on. Uh, radio shows because I think I did three shows. Uh, one is obviously the, the nightly Gibrish show, but two other shows after the result, after full time. Why I was asked questions about her being held out and her sulking, and I didn't understand the question. I yeah.
1: Yeah, and, uh, that, and that was one of the narratives that was picked up. That like, I think fans people were probably thinking probably thinking that. Maybe it was a decision because it came from the top down or I don't know, there was a phone call from the the, the White House. So who knows? Nobody had any idea <laughs> so what the, the Fox. That marriage. was a
0: Fox thing, them not knowing. Right. So here's what we have found. They have Alex Curry and Jenny Taft covering, you know. Essentially human interest stories and rah-rah USA stories uh, around the U.S. women's national team. You still have – and again, I'm, I'm listening. Um, I'm podcasting it. I'm not watching it on ESPN Plus, but I'm, I'm, I'm podcasting uh, Seb Salazar and, and Julie Foudy and Kate McGrath every night, and I'm getting this sort of insight from the camp. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing when Julie Fowdy's like, well, you know, this one hasn't trade so well, or, you know, Joe Ellis may have some tactical wrinkle. I, I, I'm picking up on that in a way Fox isn't. So I also. Uh, w- knew that the U.S., because of what McGrath and Fowdy had talked about, were concerned in particular about that side of the pitch and what Lucy Bronze uh, and, and, and Nikita Paris might do to them for England and the possibility of Rachel Daly being shifted to that side, which Phil Neville did do at points in the match, and that there being an overload, and potentially um, Jill Ellis uh, compensating for that tactically uh, with, 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 with in-game adjustments, or maybe this is when uh, you think about if rapino was injured, her defensive uh, work rate isn't quite as good anyway, um, you know, what do you do on that side? None of these questions, to my knowledge, have been asked on Fox. None of these discussions have been had. So when you talk specifically about that match, the semifinal match, you talk talk about an injury to foul, uh, to uh, Rapino you talk about uh, some of the the tactical decisions Phil Neville made which have been you know just pulled apart mm-hmm. the, uh, in the and you know we know how the british press is so i don't i think that they're beating up on Neville a little too much although i do i do question there were several of his um, uh, uh, Lineup decisions I question. One of which was Beth Mead over Tony Duggan, but then Beth Mead played wonderfully. Uh, I would say Fran Kirby and Georgia Stanaway not being in the team and then coming on really late um, kind of bothered me. But the yeah. point is that none of these conversations are really being had on Fox, and if and if they're mentioned, it's like Kelly Smith will say, "You know, I think Stanaway should start," and I don't know what Neville's doing, but won't uh, will not at any point really get deep into why stanaway would be a better option than let's say i don't know jill scott or or someone in the uh in the english midfield so um yeah i I think as the tournament's gone on chris fox has become uh more predictable kind of more lazy in in, in how they cover these matches And, and i get it it's a long tournament um Unlike the, the Men's World Cup, they haven't really rotated Rob Fox uh, – Rob Stone out to where <laughs> – That he, should be his
1: Rob, name, Rob Fox.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Fox uh, to where he's, um, he, he, he's a little bit um, – maybe uh just weary now uh and and the same thing with lawless lawless hasn't been rotated out but uh this is another reason right i mean people have criticized me for saying i'm not watching the gold cup i'm not watching copa america this is part of it i have to go other places to get my analysis i'm covering this tournament i'm watching this tournament i am covering this tournament. i'm on i'm either writing or on a show every every night about the tournament so I um I have to fill in those gaps, and filling in those gaps requires me to listen to other coverage. Uh, I mentioned ESPN uh, FC uh, with, with Seb Salazar, uh, that and all the other uh, supplementary things I do that I listen to. And that cuts into my time to potentially watch other tournaments or do other things, even non-soccer stuff. And quite frankly, it's because Fox is not delivering – the level of analysis they did the first, I would say, ten days of the tournament. I think they were pretty good through the second weekend, and then it just suddenly tailed off. And uh, it might be just kind of they don't have enough analysts to rotate. It's uh, and they don't have enough hosts to rotate. That probably has a lot to do with it.
1: I, I think it's not so much that. I think it's more so in terms of uh, the target audience that they're going after, which is mainstream America. Which, uh, for the most part, as each game has gone on, and we'll get into TV ratings in a little bit, as each game has gone on, more and more people are watching, tuning into these games that normally would not watch soccer. Um, so that's part of it too, is that they're giving a mainstream type of coverage to a mainstream audience, and that's what they're banking on. They're banking on, I mean, average Americans. I mean, which is I don't know if the same, same with you, Karthik, but a lot of my family mem- members and in-laws who don't care about soccer are now all in they're all oh, they're, yeah. they're all watching oh, yeah. it they're all interested we are planning parties on, on sunday which is great i i love to see that but that that's that's who fox is broadcasting to they're not broadcasting to you me or the listeners in terms of the the deeper we're not we're not asking for that that much deeper we're asking why is a player not starting okay OK, according to reporter XYZ in the camp, who was at the press conference yesterday, she said this. And Julie Fowdy, who's not even – I mean, Julie Foudy would be the perfect person for Fox to hire to have on the Women's World Cup that would have the knowledge, the past knowledge, the experience to say, here, here's exactly what's happening. Or, But as, as we've seen with the studio analysts, I mean, they're probably going from hotel, hotel to set – once the set's done, they 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 go home. Well, even have a couple drinks, and think that's it.
0: Julie Foudy, she's too critical, uh, and she's too uh, she's too critical of um, uh, elements of of the U.S. women's uh, setup, and she's too critical of FIFA and their handling of the women's game. Uh, to uh, to. Uh, uh uh to be on fox's set you know they've, they've they've ripped ada Heddenberg, they've ripped uh uh you know they've, they've avoided other other key topics julie Fowdy doesn't avoid uh, those topics but, but, I mean,
1: but, but god forbid we, we would have actually somebody with an opinion on the fox set who would oh, call right. it the way they see it i mean that that's what we're we'd love that we I mean ads which i mean alala should be that type of person he's not you I mean he's going to just pick a one instance of a game or one one moment, and then focus in on that, zero in on that. That's going to cause a reaction on the set. But he's not coming in with, here's you mean here's some like mind you mean thought provoking uh, analysis about something that's happening within this game that's very important. That's that's not the type of level of critique that he gives or his, his analysis. But um, overall, I would say that Fox. I guess they're preaching to the choir because if the mainstream audience is coming in on this games, I, but but still, with Megan Rapinoe, that's a perfect example of even, even for the mainstream audience, the mainstream audience deserves to know, as do we, the, the diehards, what is going on? Like, why is she not starting? And for them not to know that, that's abysmal. All right, yeah. let's, move, let's move on, Kartik, because we have a lot to cover and we've got a lot of... Uh, uh, listen to mailbag too. So th- let's, let's dive in and let's move on to TV streaming news and, and, and Fox's uh, numbers for the the World Cup
0: yeah fox's coverage of the us versus england on the over the air network and streaming platforms generated 7.3 million viewers viewership peaked at more than 9 million viewers at some point during the match additionally an estimated 8.5 million viewers watched the game out of home in uh, out, out of home you know in 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 the office or at some sort of uh, public gathering according to tunity uh, analytics overall fox sports viewership for the fifa Uh, Women's World Cup is up uh, five percent to date compared to four years ago. One point three eight million viewers per match versus one point three one million viewers. Those are very good numbers.
1: Yeah, and especially with the time difference with uh, the World Cup uh, in two thousand and fifteen being in Canada and having most of those games in prime time, Uh, and then here we are. You mean with uh, games? Many of them. You mean twelve noon, three p.m. Eastern. Uh, ...in the United States and still having numbers that are beating the 2011 uh, numbers. So that's great news there. Uh, Next news item is that BN Sports has now returned to PlayStation View. uh, About a year ago, or maybe a little bit longer, Um, PlayStation had a dispute with BN Sports over the uh, subscriber fees. Uh, Sounds familiar. And uh, and PlayStation View uh, went ahead and pulled off off, uh, BN Sports... It is now back, so uh, both Be In Sports and Be In Sports En Español are available, um, depending on what sports pack you add on. And I believe it's the core package that has it. And then you can just add on the, the Spanish one if you want to. Uh, the one issue or the one thing that, that that has to be resolved is that right now, Be In Sports Connect is not included, I believe. Uh, but hopefully soon that will be added in, t- in time for the new season starting in August for uh, Liga and La Liga, uh, etc. So good news there for being sports and good news for those of you who have uh, PlayStation View. And then yeah, oh, I was going to say, last but not least, Kartik
0: yeah, BR Live is going to be streaming all seven of Liverpool's preseason uh, friendly fixtures this summer. Uh, two of the games are going to be on TNT, which is really exciting, against uh, uh, Sporting Lisbon and against uh, Borussia Dortmund. So that's uh, exciting, and those matches will be on TNT, which is, uh, which is a big, big boost, I think, for uh, TNT's soccer coverage and for Liverpool's profile.
1: It'll be interesting to see what changes with BR Live for next season. And and this would be a good opportunity for a lot of these Liverpool games, obviously, obviously the, the Champions League uh, winners, uh, to kind of uh, maybe run some promo videos talking about maybe some changes with pricing or changes with the way that uh, BR Live works. Um, so we'll have to wait and see if, if that'll happen in time for those, uh, for those games. And we'll have to wait and see if there will be any changes, uh, and if so, what. Uh, TV ratings. We went through a few of those with the uh, USA Eng- England game, but some of the other things that, that jump out to uh, 3.6 million for Mexico against Haiti on Tuesday. This was on, <clears throat> pardon me, on Univision. Uh, this is the most watched men's soccer game of 2019. So 3.6 million, and uh, that number for the Gold Cup final. I don't know, Kartek, That's going to be a massive number, again, especially against the US and Mexico must think that they've got a good chance to win this. So, you mean, this is going to be a, a monster number
0: there. It'll be a good lead-in from, from the Women's World Cup as well on Fox.
1: True. Yeah, very true. Actually, but that's the thing, though, too, because like, the Women's World Cup game is at 11 a.m. on Sunday. The Gold Cup final is, at, I think, at 10.15 Eastern time. Uh, you mean, like, basically almost You mean, 12 hours later or 10 hours 10,
0: 15, later. 10.15 p.m.? Yeah. Where's the finals? In L.A., I guess, then? Uh... Yeah, or, or, or is it?
1: Or is it? I don't know. I don't know. I would have to check. But well, um, and then the uh, never,
0: mind, never mind that. Then <laughs> <yeah>.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Well, gotcha. that's a long lead-in. But but yeah, then yeah. Copa America I believe is uh, mid-afternoon. So, but if someone's watching, kind of, I mean, it's it's a great day to go from one match to the next to the next, and then maybe a little bit of break for some you know, some food or something. Uh, some of the other TV ratings, again, we'll have all of these available on worldsoccertalk.com, so we won't go into all of them. Um, but one that jumps out to me, Kartik, is uh, MLS, Minnesota United against Cincinnati. Uh, two teams that uh, I mean, have a lot of things going for them in terms of supporter base, uh, football culture, etc., but have very little relevance on a national basis in terms of people interested nationally in watching these uh, these two teams play. And there was a game on Saturday, June 29th. This was on ESPN on the flagship network, uh, 172,000 viewers. All right, let's move on to Listener Mailbag. First up is Flatback 4. He says, VAR is horrendous. I know football isn't that important in the grand scheme of things, but VAR is taking most of the enjoyment I derive from the game. There's lots of talk about how we need to change the offside law and handball, as well as the shambles of goalkeepers staying on their line in the Women's World Cup. Why should we have to rewrite the laws of this simple game just because of VAR? It's a completely backwards approach. I would accept VAR for offside, but that's the limit. The rest is a slippery slope that will ruin the game. So uh, I think a lot of us will... Well, actually, not all of us will agree with him on that, but, but many of us will.
0: Even for offside, okay, and I know it, it, it benefited uh, uh, the uh, U.S directly, but uh, the Ellen White uh, goal would never be the, the flag would never go up for that uh, in the normal flow of play, in my opinion, because uh, there used to be this interpretation, Chris, where you had to see daylight between uh, the last defender, or the next to last defender, and the attacking player. Now, what White is doing is she's level with the last defender, but she's making a normal motion if you're going to make a run into space, right? Yeah. So she's just, you know, an inch offside. Okay, if you you if you freeze frame it, and you know which you know, the British media has done. Right, I've seen uh, most of the, the the newspaper websites a freeze frame of this, and you take a look at thirty different angles. Sure, she was offside; it's the right call. Letter of the law, it was absolutely the right call. But um, if you're going to have VAR and you're going to put everything in freeze frames and slow motions and take two minutes, three minutes to make decisions, then you got to change some of these laws. I completely agree with this comment from flyback four. I think uh, uh, then it's no longer a simple game anymore, right? Because you're changing laws like every other sport. This is what we complain about in American sports and cricket and rugby and other uh, in the non-American sports, but just everything else, that they have complex laws. The laws constantly change. The interpretations constantly change. Um, to this point, football's been a simple Game And uh, that, even though that directly benefited the U.S., and I think, you know, so much of our discussions about the U.S. being in the final, um, that uh, one call, that one VAR call, uh, taking back uh, England's equalizing goal, to me, typifies the dilemma with VAR and the current laws of the game.
1: We we have a we have about six or seven of those calls in the Women's World Cup, they've been exactly that where it's been to the naked eye looking at it, it looks like uh, the person's on side. And then where the VAR comes in and then the lines even you have to have the lines put in in order to go, okay, well actually maybe she's like half a half a, a toe or whatever it is. But yes, she is offside, but, but by the slimmest of margins. And and that's the thing too because it gives the advantage to the defender. I mean, it, there's no. I mean, so it's, yeah. it's going to reduce the number of goals scored because. Um, I mean, as of I me, mean, six months ago, I mean, uh, before VAR was put in when the Women's World Cup, those calls would have been onside.
0: Yeah, attackers no longer need to be level with the defender; they need to be uh, behind the defender, basically, right, or ahead of the defender, depending on how you how you your terminology yeah. you use. Uh, Because uh, if you're leading, because your natural movement, the natural movement of the defender is to step up, right? Because they're trying to Mm -hmm. uh, catch the attacker offside. The natural movement of the attacker is to be running into that space. So in this case, Ellen White's running into that channel where she's going to receive the ball and she's going to score a goal. Um, So just based on their natural body movements um, – It's impossible to be level and not be flagged for offside, or not flagged, but found offside after VAR. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and, and VAR is not going away, so the, the rules have to change in order to make it make, make it fairer and to give it the advantage to to the attacking player. Because otherwise, you I mean you're going to have so so many fewer goals scored in, in a game. It's gonna, it's going to be less exciting than what it is now, but. JP says, uh, VAR is taking some enjoyment out of soccer the same way replay has in the NFL and and NBA. In the NFL, you cannot feel comfortable celebrating a big play until waiting a few moments to make sure there is no penalty flag, often thrown late, or for the TV to show the replay so you can be sure uh, nothing will have to be reviewed. The NBA now has the absurd rule video reviews to determine down to the fingernail who touched the ball last going out of bounds and lengthy reviews anytime someone falls to the floor during a foul to see if it warrants a technical foul or ejection, etc., it bogs down the game. VAR would, be best, uh, would work best for offside, onside and goals since that isn't subjective and can clearly see on the video once they superimpose the line. The ref doesn't even need to consult the monitor. The VAR crew just tells them good or not. They show the results of the review in Serie A. It's always spot on. The only other time VAR should be used is for obvious penalties not awarded or cases where a penalty was awarded and clearly shouldn't have. If it takes VAR more than 10 seconds to buzz the referee to take a look, uh, then it uh, fails this criteria. should be noticeable immediately upon review. A mistake was made and the ref to take another look and confirm. So the the other thing, Kartik that that uh, comes to mind in terms of our in this tournament, especially well, just in in soccer especially, is is penalties. I mean, it's the slightest of contact and it's a penalty. You know, I mean, it could be. I mean, there's been so many instances in this World Cup where I'm looking at at the video replay and the different angles, and I'm like, I'm not seeing any contact. Maybe there was a slight piece of contact. But that's not enough to to send a player. I mean, dive into the ground, and, and to call a penalty. Um, that that's. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, we've gotten to a point where someone in the box, any any contact, the person goes down, and most times it's an automatic penalty, and and it's yeah. uh, that's taken taken kind of a, a luster off the game too. I believe.
0: Yeah, I think even in the the case of Steph Houghton missing that penalty, uh, that was again another VAR letter of the law call that. Maybe isn't made without VAR. Maybe isn't made without this sort of very uh, strict interpretation. Look, I, there's this. This goes back to my my initial point about uh, the women being used as guinea pigs. I think VAR and some of these changes in rules interpretations at IFAB. Um, uh, threw in and, and went into effect June first. Have have taken a toll on this tournament in a way that they would never do to a men's tournament. They would never even experiment at the U, FIFA U seventeen uh, uh, men's World Cup with this sort of stuff. Um, so that that's another. That's just another talking point about how FIFA is is, is disrespecting this tournament.
1: The the other thing too about. Um the way that VAR has changed the game is that, uh, I mean, in this case, HBS, um, which is the company that's in charge of uh, producing the, the Women's World Cup and, and is giving the feeds I mean, globally. So uh, no matter where you are, if you're in Australia, Europe, you, know, you name it, we're all watching the same TV feed around the world of the Women's World Cup. And sometimes, yes, we'll have different commentators. But, but for the most part, well, actually, 100 percent of the time, we're seeing the same footage around the world. The thing is, is like sometimes, and I've noticed, I've mentioned this on Twitter, is a goal is scored. And when a goal is scored, we might get seven, eight, nine different camera angles. But when it's a VAR incident in a penalty box and someone gets, you mean, clobbered or, or, or is it a touch or not, we're getting like maybe two, maybe three yeah, different camera yeah. angles. Yep. Okay, what about the other six a- angles that are, are not shown? Are those uh, – so, so HPS, which is – you mean, FIFA's paying HBS to do broadcast uh, this tournament, they have a lot of control over this, the way that things are framed in terms of the way that, that the, the global world will see exactly what happens. And not to say that they are, but they could very well uh, be making sure that some of the footage that I don't know, I'm showing only the footage that, that helps their efforts in terms of making the right call, the right decision, okay. making them look good.
0: Yeah, so there's even now been confusion about this uh, issue of keepers coming off the line because of the replays that have been offered since all the uh, uh, controversy over the Nigeria France game and the Scotland Argentina game to the point where on 606 now again I- England gets eliminated. There's there's some there's a lot of unhappiness. Uh, people were calling in after the U.S. England match saying, "Well, Alyssa Nair came off her line, didn't she?" Which she didn't, but they didn't provide so. You know, from the angles that were that were shown of her save of, of Steph Houghton's freak uh, penalty you might think that—that's mm-hmm. um, another thing. I mean, they're just not—they're not consistent in the angles they're providing, um, unless uh, they're trying to prove a point.
1: Which, which I'm, it- which I'm sure that that message came down pretty loud and pretty clear. Uh, I mean, before that match even started. Okay, let's not focus on the goal line. Uh, if, yeah. if the goalkeeper has moved her foot off the line or not, let's, let's not focus on that because it's—you mean—it's creating a lot of negativity, cre- creating a lot of drama, and uh, you mean. Just uh, it, it's creating a mess out there for us. So, so let's focus on the penalty kick, uh, taker herself. Um, yeah. And, and that's the thing. At the end of the day, television has a huge impact on influencing people. And we've seen this before. We've talked about this a million times, Karthik, sometimes on the show, sometimes offline. Is In terms of the way that match of the day, BBC in the UK and the footage that they show and how the analysts are talking about it, here's exactly what happened. That is so influential because then you hear millions of uh, of the average British person on on social media basically regurgitating those same things that uh, he said or she said in the analysis when we hear on the other side of the pond – might have a, different, a totally different take on that. We might have actually had a, an analyst that said something different or you or I might have come up with our own analysis or mo- our own observations, which are completely in contrast with what we saw uh, that, that the BBC shared with their audience. So TV has a major impact and uh, VAR is at the heart of this TV broadcast and, and FIFA and HBS, in this case, have a lot of control over over influencing the the talking points to come up from this. Moving on, Happily Eggs uh, says, Tim Vickery says that football here in Brazil... It's turning from a game of flow and rhythm into a game of moments. He is admittedly uh, uh, talking generally about the style of football in Brazil. I would apply this to the way that VAR is affecting football worldwide. We already have to deal with many stoppages in the game, free kicks, throw-ins, injuries, goal kicks. Add to these natural stop stoppages VAR, and you gradually are turning the game into a game of moments. Football is designed to be a game of flow and rhythm, the best parts of the game's uh, are when all all parts are working smoothly and the teams find their rhythms. When you disrupt this rhythm, it takes time to re-establish. Thus, you end up with a dropping quality of play. Add to this that VAR is as open to interpretation as a referee's opinion. The excuse I heard have heard for bringing in VAR is that they want to get decisions absolutely correct. I still do not see uh, absolutely correct decisions because it all comes down to interpretation and opinion. So that is one reason uh, dealt with. Another reason I've heard from certain referees who have, been used, uh, who have been used to push far is that it will prevent players from surrounding the referee and trying to influence his decision. This is easily dealt with. If referees issue a couple of yellow cards, uh, when this happens, it will soon stop. So another reason dealt with, so as you may know, by now, uh, as you may have guessed by now, I abhor VAR. What I really want to know, and it's a question I've never heard the answer to, is who is pushing VAR, and why are they pushing it? I, being extremely cynical when it comes to FIFA, fear it may well be down to corruption. I can see a scenario where a maker of technology would see football as the ideal outlet for a form of technology that would help the game. I can see a scenario where someone gets a a fat envelope for introducing that technology, who decided to introduce VAR? Who is paying for VAR? Is this another cost-based uh, p- passed on to the consumer? Is this another instance of FIFA being less than transparent? Wow, Kartik. Uh,
0: I first of all, I feel like I'm going to have to steal happily eggs is a uh, line about football becoming a, a match of moments, a, 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 a game of moments rather than free flowing football. Uh, because uh, that's how I've described the Women's World Cup, maybe not in, with that exact terminology, but to a lot of people publicly, is that because of VAR, it's stop, start, stop, start. We're looking now more than ever at just individual isolated portions of matches rather than the match as an in, in its entirety as, as, a, as a complete uh, <coughs> uh, event, if you will. So I, I completely agree with that. As far as the FIFA uh, thing... Yeah, you know, I, I've uh I, I, I have not made this specific um claim about uh VAR, but I have made publicly in the past, uh many years ago, the same claim that because of FIFA's level of corruption and, and uh willingness to uh uh to, to try and put money in the pockets of of different member associations that uh <laughs> excuse me that the uh the growth of turf artificial surfaces in the in the game was directly due to fifa corruption that's what i felt it was never proven but that was my gut that was my instinct i hadn't thought about var and new technology being the same but he's using uh, happily eggs he or she is using the same logic that i have used uh to make that argument about turf uh, five to ten years ago so um I, I'm not going to discount it because I I've made that same argument about another thing in this sport that that made me very uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, and, and going back to Happily egg's question, I, I I don't know the answer to that one. I know that in, in terms of VAR, uh, there are different competing companies that have the technology. I know that FIFA uh, had the opportunity to introduce VAR much earlier. I think even the last World Cup, I think it was. But but but, but I mean, yeah. or, or is, they've had had the opportunity to actually uh, bring it out. Sooner, but they decided to go ahead and have an RFP RFP process, and they went with their technology company that they were comfortable with. The answers to those those questions, we don't know. I mean, it's we can kind of guess at those, but I'd rather not. The one thing I I think, from my perspective, it's been it's been more of an incremental. Uh, evolution of uh, video technology in general. I mean, we can go back to the Frank Lampard uh, penalty against Germany for England in the World Cup and the ball completely going over the line and it being ruled that uh, it was not a goal. I mean, that that's really kind of was the last straw for a lot of people. And, the, and then the push happened big time. To me, we're at a stage with technology where even though I like VAR in terms of its intentions, I don't like the way that it's actually been implemented and the rules will have to need to, ch- to change to to work with VAR. I'm at, at, I'm, at, I'm at a point where I'm completely 100% happy with the goal line technology and I, I'd be happy with goal line technology and that's it and VAR taking, being taken out of the game and the control being back with the referees, where they, they can go ahead and make uh, human decisions. Uh, or if you're going to go the other way, and if VAR is here to stay, then VAR needs to be, I think, improved for a lot of the, the, the camera angles that we're missing. But also, at the same time, it needs to work in conjunction with IFAB to figure out a way to implement these where it's fair. Because some of this stuff is petty when it comes down to like millimeters on side or offside. Raquel, uh, Raquel Guzman says uh, this Women's World Cup has been eventful and fun to watch. VAR has been killing the mom- momentum at times, but that is a rant for another day. I wanted to ask, do you both have any insight at, at, uh, at all about how the U.S. men's national team, t- uh, team members uh, behind the scenes are feeling or acting with the current success of the, women's, uh, the women happening at the forefront? I only ask because I get a sense that uh, maybe uh, some may hopefully wish for this cup to be done just so that their past failings and equal pay talk for the women's team will be over.
0: Well, um, Chris, I think the problem is uh, there's a lack of, oh, look, there's no Megan Rapino in the men's game in the United States. Not only a player of that skill, but just uh, someone who, who's willing to speak out. There's not, never been really a Hope Solo type player uh, who was willing to speak out, although she had other reasons. We, I don't want to get into uh, d- discussing her. There's never even been a Carly Lloyd player who would write an autobiography and talk about some of these issues uh, and take on leadership. In our autobiography, the U.S. men, by and large, are a largely neutered bunch uh, who lack personality, um, who lack leadership, uh, with the exception of, I would say, uh, Michael Bradley. So I don't think I don't know if they have opinions about anything unless they're told to have opinions, quite frankly. Most yeah. of them, yeah, um, and, and the opinions of their agents become their opinions. So uh, Raquel, I think you know you're dealing. This is part of the reason they fail. They failed on the pitch, although they're doing. I, I again, I haven't watched a minute of this tournament, but they obviously are doing quite well on the field in this tournament. Mm. Uh, first time they've done well on the field in a while, but um, they I, they don't they don't have uh, players that act out or, or, or leaders or. or, or really care about these issues beyond what they're, they're told to t- care about which is part of the reason why there's such a weak players union in the uh major in major league soccer also i mean all of these things so i don't um i don't know that they're even thinking about it honestly
1: yeah and, and for me who's watched uh, some of the, the gold cup i mean the u.s performance uh, up until the jamaica game has been uh inconsistent i mean against curacao curacao looked the better team they were better in possession they were more in control of the game uh, and against Guyana, they didn't. The U.S. didn't look that strong as as you would think they would. It's been very boring football for the most part until the Jamaica game last night. And finally, I mean Pulisic for the most part. I mean and, and Altidore having a good game, really turning on the, on on the uh, the energy and passion that we know is capable in this team. But going back to Raquel's question, I, I think most of the, the men on the on the men's team. Um, are happy about the, the women's success and about how well that they're doing. Uh, yes. It's painting over the cracks a little bit in terms of uh, how poor uh, the men were in terms of trying to qualify for the, uh, the world cup for the men's world cup. But uh, I don't know. I, I think, I think a lot of the men would uh, want the women to, to get equal pay. I, th- I think the issue really is more yeah. in, within USSF in terms of kind of at that higher level. This puts a lot of pressure on them to come out after the, this Women's World Cup is over, and hopefully the U.S. Women's team wins on Sunday. But this puts some more pressure on them. mean the, the, the radar, the actual, uh, the, the the lights are going to be on Carlos Cordero in terms of uh, focusing on, in on him to make the right decision, and uh, this will put immense pressure on them. That that's where that's where the heat is
0: at. I agree on the equal pay, and I think that a lot of the U.S. men's players probably didn't even know that they, that they were getting paid more than the women's players until recently. Again, I mean, they're not, they're not really tuned into these issues. As far as pressure on the U.S. men's team, I don't think anyone – I think most people don't even realize or remember that they didn't qualify for the last World Cup. I just don't think people care about them in the larger scheme of things. And um, maybe maybe the women's success puts more scrutiny on them. Maybe the women's success takes the heat off of them. I don't know. I don't know how that will
1: play yeah. out. And the U.S. men against uh, Curaçao, the, the viewing figure for that was uh, on Fox, on FS1, was 1.5 million. So people are starting to tune in now. Um, so maybe it's more of the hardcore audience that are tuning in that had tuned out for a long time. And probably some of the mainstream audience are coming into those games too. So so for Sunday's game against Mexico, that, from Fox Fox's perspective... Uh, it won't be as big of a number as Univision by any means, but um, there will be a lot of people watching that, and especially if the if the women win earlier in the day, I mean, I'm sure post-match uh, from Fox they'll be pushing uh, the, the final, the men's final, hard, big time, to try to get people to get those people to view, uh, tune in later that night. Chris Day says, uh, any word on which network uh, or streaming options uh, will broadcast the upcoming League's Cup matches? Between Major League Soccer and Liga MX teams, um, keep up the good work with the podcast. Enjoy the discussion about VAR last week, and have really mixed feelings, but agree that this is taking away from the game itself. So, Chris, to answer your question, no, there's been no information about who's picking up the rights. Um, I would uh, assume uh, that it would be Univision on on the English language side. That's a question. I, I don't know how much of interest there is. Um, I don't know. Maybe this might be a good one for DAZN or somebody to come in with uh, uh, kind of a a late offer to to pick this up. But there seems to be very little interest uh, thus far, uh, especially on the English language side. Alex says, uh, does your Fubo TV subscription come with Fox Soccer Plus or is that an extra? Uh, So to answer your question, Alex, that is an extra. So if you sign up for Fubo, if you want to, you can add on Fox Soccer Plus um, to your package. But that does cost extra. And... um, Alex says, uh, continues, he says, the reason I don't keep up with Major League Soccer as much as the other leagues, I don't have ESPN+, Plus, so I can only watch what's on TV. Number one, there's no set schedule of days and times with MLS. I also watch NFL, and they have set uh, days and times. Most times I catch something in a TV guide uh, or switch in channels. Number two, have to search out game channels from ESPN or Fox uh, or other Fox channels. Number three, MLS only promotes um, their big teams. I had looked at what teams were on TV from the beginning of the season to the start of June. There were a couple of teams that were on there five to six times, like LAFC, Atlanta, NYFC, to name a few. And some teams have had no no national TV showing. Number 4 just as, just not as fun to watch. I watch the Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga and some Serie A. To me, things move faster, more goals and player base that is more well known. <clears throat> I don't watch NBA but still know some of the big names that are playing. MLS just does not in my opinion. Number 5 I live in the middle of Texas, so I'm 4 hours away from Dallas and Houston. I get one local channel that shows uh, FC Dallas games but not on sports channels and uh, no Houston games. It's not a channel I watch, so I forget about it. Most of the sport for NHL, Major League Baseball, and NBA, uh, we have Fox Regional channels, which I watch a lot. I can't wait for FC Austin, since that will be close to where I live. Jean-Michel Valiant says, uh, VAR should be given to each team. Three times can be used in the first half, and three times in the second half. The referee does as usual and can't ask for the VAR, so when none of the teams request for the VAR, the games will never stop, and surely this will make it more interesting. Anthony Bello says, Hi, guys, I just listened to the podcast. Kartik, congratulations on the new show. Anyway, I have a few questions on VAR. Number one, is there a place on the Internet where somebody can find the average number of VAR checks per match, along with the number of calls overturned in each of the leagues that used last season? I know, that. I think it was like last week, um, uh, Kalina, the, uh, the famous uh, ex-former referee uh, who now works with uh, FIFA, um, had a presentation to the press. And um, so if you look on Twitter, look for Kalina, uh, Women's World Cup, uh, VAR, uh, stats. Uh, he has a, a page from his PowerPoint that was shared with the media that goes into uh, the games and actually um, measures how many calls... VAR was used in but moving forward I I don't believe there's a site that has information at your fingertips but number two is there a place on the internet where somebody could see what is the most common calls overturned by VAR no. I mean, you'd have to search and go to a bunch of different sites. Number three, you guys probably watch more soccer than any people on Earth before VAR and the new rules. How often were goalkeepers called for coming off lines on P kicks? In my memory bank, I can only remember this being called three times a season at the most. Uh, if the refs never called this rule and nobody wants this called, why not just take it out of the laws of the game? Uh, Kartik, I, th- I think... Um, I think it needs to be there, because otherwise you're going to have referees jumping off the line the line and just taking it too far. Um, but uh, it, it's extremely rare that that's been called in the past. I mean, I can maybe, I don't know, one, one time in the last five years, I can I can remember. An
0: yeah, and encroach, encroachment's been called more, right, of, of play, attacking players, yeah. charging the box. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, I, 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 I'm really curious, because we had it twice in the group stage on, I want to say maybe back to back days, or maybe there were two days apart that France, Nigeria and Scotland, Argentina, but, uh, that's what blew, blew everybody's mind because we never see it called. And then it was called, um, back-to-back back, and it impacted uh, both Scotland's passage to the uh, knockout stages and who Nigeria ended up drawing. I mean, they ended up drawing Germany and and, and and were wiped out, but if they had gotten that draw there against France, they might have played someone else and they might have uh, had a better shot of advancing to the quarterfinals.
1: All right. So the last piece of mailbag this week we got from Leo. He says, in one of the podcasts, you discussed the possible future broadcasters of La Liga and the Bundesliga in the United States. Is it possible that there will be a new player from another segment of the market? For example, in Russia this year, there was an interesting story. The country's main sports channel has lost its EPL rights, losing to a service that was previously known as a service for watching movies and TV shows. The sports channel offered a low price of only five million. This sounded logical because there are they have no competitors in the sports TV market. However, the new service offered $7 million and won, although they did not have a contract with a TV provider, and they do not uh, even plan to expand into the TV market. I look at the Premier League broadcasters list, and I can see that in several countries the situation is similar to what I described in Russia. Uh, speaking of access to every home, this service is, is associated with the main bank of the country. Two-thirds are paid through this bank. Uh, the bank plans to make online TV as a bonus in its sign-up. Is it possible that services like Netflix would be interested in, in acquiring the rights to broadcast the top leagues? So I, I think with Netflix, and this question has come up a few times in the past, and I, I don't think so. I think, I think with Netflix, it's one of those things that, um, I mean, they focus on original content. They focus on, you I mean, some great films and documentaries, etc. But that, that's content that you can watch, you can binge watch over and over and over again. So you can go back and watch it. Um, you can go ahead and, you mean know, somebody new coming into Netflix will say, hey, I'm going to binge uh, all of Breaking Bad or, or whatever show it, it may be. And um, with, with sports content, soccer too, but sports content in general, it's the live moment. It's, it's, it's being pulled in, watching that game live. Uh, for me, for example, USA against Jamaica uh, the day after will I go back and watch that game again? It's, it's unlikely. I, there's highlights. I can watch the highlights and see within I mean, two minutes exactly everything I want to see out of that game. So Netflix I don't see. But but going back to Leo's question, I think it is possible that a new player from another segment of the market could enter the rights uh, acquisition business in terms of picking things up. Um, it seems that so many companies are creating their own streaming solutions um, there's going to be a lot more competition out there for the rights. But, but the one thing, though, Karthik, just to en- uh, end on here is that uh, I think the Women's World Cup helps things. I mean, not, not just the Women's World Cup, but you look at the Women's World Cup plus the Gold Cup plus Copa America, and you add up the, the amount of people that have watched soccer games this, these, these past 30 days, those numbers must be th- through the roof. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people watching soccer – so, I think in many ways, from the TV rights business side of things, for La liga especially i mean a lot of these players that are playing in La liga you 've seen in the Copa America uh, some of the stars on that and, and the Bundesliga to a lesser extent, but in terms of just soccer in general, this should help the TV rights business in terms of uh, having those deals be looked at as being more affordable I mean being, actually being the price being more. Uh, it's it's increasing the the rights the value of those rights because everyone sees how popular soccer has been this summer and they want to cash in on that. Any additional takes on that, Kartik?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, the the relevance and, and importance and, and prominence of soccer in this country uh, has risen with with the Women's World Cup. I'm I'm not, I'm not sure uh, the World Cup and Copa America have quite done anything more than then tap into that niche audience although again yeah the gold cup is probably a reminder how many uh fans there are of the mexican national team in this country and how they are a great driver of uh, uh interest in the men's sport uh, the men's side of the game in this country and how they are the greatest driver really of that so uh for potential sponsors and those who want to bid on rights and broadcast matches i think that there's a, this summer has only helped
1: Yeah, and I would say, too, with Copa America, even without uh, Mexico being involved in that tournament, uh, some of the numbers that came out, I mean, um, from the last week or so, 1.8 million people are tuning in for Argentina against Paraguay, 1.4 million for Brazil against Venezuela, um, Qatar against uh, Argentina was a million, uh, Uruguay against Japan, a million. So pretty consistent in terms of those those bigger teams within the tournament uh, producing big numbers. And with the Gold Cup, too, when it's been Mexico and the U.S. playing, uh, those numbers, too, have been, um, especially in the later rounds for the U.S., have been in the million-plus there, too. And, of course, with Mexico, three million-plus for, for those games. So so all, all, all combined, it's been a huge summer of soccer. It's been a successful summer, summer of soccer, and it shows that there's great demand out there for the game. So I think at the end of the day, going back to Leo's question, they could very well be a uh, a broadcaster that comes in that's not in the sports space, but says, Hey, I want to get in on this. Uh, The one that I always look to, which is uh, CBS. CBS is, is extinct when it comes to soccer and why they haven't at least tried to get into the soccer market other than on limited um, tries. I I just don't understand.
0: Yeah. I've always thought maybe the A&E networks would, would make more of an effort and, and, uh, they did it with NWSL for a few seasons, to give them credit for that. But they have so much bandwidth in terms of, of what they own. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought that they might always make a play for something. And actually, I think they did bid for Premier League rights once, right? And, again, just got uh, outbid, uh, yeah. if I remember correctly, many years ago. So uh, it, that, that's always been the one I thought might might go for it.
1: All right, listeners. So uh, if you have any questions for us about anything in, in regards to streaming, television, uh, var, which is, uh, this has been a very var heavy show, as well as the tournaments, etc. Uh, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebookcom worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com You can hit up Kartik on Twitter at kkfla737, as well as myself at worldsoccertalk uh, or at the Gaffer. All right, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audio Boom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. Kartik, heading into a crazy weekend of soccer. Uh, three finals on Sunday. We've got third place games in two of the competitions, I believe. On uh, well, actually, one of the competitions on, or well, maybe two on Saturday, as well as Major League Soccer games and other games from around the world. What should they do?
0: Enjoy your football.